You're listening to the Food Freedom Podcast, hosted by me, Dylan Murphy, Registered Dietitian Nutritionist. Food Freedom Podcast explores the topics of intuitive eating, mindset, and body respect to help you create a lifestyle of lasting food freedom. We believe it's possible to feel confident in your food choices and connected to your body. And here on Food Freedom Podcast, we will show you how. I am a registered dietitian nutritionist and owner of Dylan Murphy Nutrition, a nutrition coaching practice helping women make peace with food, heal their relationship with their body, and create sustainable health habits. We welcome all foods over here, from kale salads to queso and everything in between. Let's dive in. Welcome back to another episode of Food Freedom Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest, Meredith Renshaw, who may be a familiar face to those of y'all listeners, Instagram followers around here. She is a member of our team at Free Method Nutrition. She is also one of my best friends. So this will be a very fun interview. Meredith, welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. And I feel like this has been a long time coming. We've been talking about yes. doing this for forever and we finally found the time to do it. Yes. Here we are. Um, well, yeah, first, I mean, you're probably not a stranger to most of our listeners or, you know, listeners who have come here from Instagram, but I would love if you take a second to just introduce yourself. Um, tell me a little more about your role at Free Method and yeah, anything else you want to say? Yeah, well, my name is Meredith Renshaw, and I am a dietitian on the team. I'm one of Dylan's <laughs> team members, and I actually currently am in Memphis, Tennessee, which a lot of people don't realize. I think because you're in Nashville, people will assume that I'm there too, which I was yeah. once upon a time, but I am a year into uh, my Memphis journey, um, <laughs> the Memphis branch, as I like to call myself. <laughs> yes. And I am a non-diet dietitian and we practice, as I'm sure most people at this point know, um, <laughs> we are um, weight inclusive and haze aligned and practice and focus on intuitive eating and mindfulness and um, try and think about anything about myself that people might want to <laughs> know. Um I wish I had a furry friend like Dylan does, uh, but I don't. No. Um, so but you're going to get one soon. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, the world will know when I get a furry friend. Yes. Don't worry. Uh, um, but yeah, Dylan and I have been friends for, um, actually, we kind of like have a funny story because we weren't friends mm -hmm. in grad school. Um, yeah. Dylan was actually my preceptor, which is <laughs> hilarious to think so about funny. now. Um, that's like our favorite story, but, um, and we actually ended up reconnecting more in like a professional sense later and then became really, um, good and sweet friends. And Dylan was in my wedding and now we get to like live out the dream and, um, Dylan welcomed me with open arms when I had the chance to join the team and here we are. So super excited to be here and just being part of the dream team. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Conquering diet culture one day at a time. <laughs> well, I would love to hear. So I know it's so funny asking you these questions too, because I'm like, I already basically know the answers to these. But all the people listening don't. So this is great. Um, but yeah, I would love to hear more about just kind of your journey as a dietitian. Um, for everyone who doesn't know, you joined the team 
I guess like last May or June, probably, right? And yeah. then something like that, like summertime. And then came on full time this month. Um, and so you were working another job. And then I know that was like your second job as a dietitian. So yeah, I would love to hear a little just about your career journey as a dietitian. Yeah. So for, and for those of you that don't know, we did our kind of dietetic residency at Vanderbilt. So I am from Nashville, grew up there, um, lived there for like 20 years. And I went to the University of Tennessee to study nutrition. Well, it's funny. I didn't go there to study nutrition, but I ended up studying nutrition. And I think I always like to like tell my story of like finding dietetics because I like always want to validate the people that feel like dietetics found them because that was like Mm -hmm. definitely my case. Um, but went to UT. I mean, it was like in state, both my older siblings went there. Um, so it just made sense. And I think for, for me, and I think a part of my story is helpful to know too, of just that I grew up with a, a very like healthy relationship with food and with body. And I think that comes from a place of privilege for sure. Um, being from a like upper middle-class family where food was available to me at all times and food was safe and food was celebratory and mm-hmm. um, never something to be like afraid of or fearful of. And I was never, you know, shamed for my body. And so I think to also just validate the people that have that experience too, because not every story comes from a place of like trauma with food. Um, but went to UT and I literally remember being at my orientation day and not knowing like what I was going to study. And so, you know, you take a little like quiz, like, what are you going to be good at or like whatever. Mm -hmm. And I remember like I took the quiz, find my strengths. And then one of the things on the list was nutrition. And I was like, well, like, I mean, I like food, you know, that sounds interesting. And then there was like marketing or whatever. And finally I realized that if I did nutrition, I didn't have to take a foreign language. So I was like, (laughs) I'm it. Like I, I'm, Oh, I took Spanish in high school and I wish I was fluent and I was just so bad. So I was like, Nope, we're not doing a foreign language. Like I'll go with nutrition. And I just remember going through nutrition 100 kind of your basic first nutrition class when you get to school and um, really like having my eyes opened to kind of what food has the power to do. Um, And I think, I think this could be like a, like a point that people relate on when you have a healthy relationship with food and then suddenly, suddenly you start focusing a lot of your energy on food and kind of having this newfound like power and knowledge of like, Oh, I, I know what calories are. Like I can count mm-hmm. calories. And that was truly the first time that I was like, Oh, there's like a point to all these numbers on the back of this, like granola bar. Like I like yeah. just didn't have that experience. Um, and so I think having kind of that newfound knowledge of, I know how to count calories and I know what carbs are and I know what protein is. And um, I, I like definitely started to use that as my like party trick. And I like wanted to exercise that knowledge. And so I think I, I say that as almost one of my like speed bumps, if you will, um, in my relationship with food. And so just coming from a place of thin privilege and then having this newfound nutrition knowledge, like that was definitely part of my story that I was like, I want people to listen to me because, and obviously at the time I did not understand this, but like having thin privilege and realizing like, oh, people will listen to me if I tell them what to eat Um, and, you know, healthy swaps and like things like that. That was just really big at the time. And so 
um, definitely having kind of those obsessive behaviors in, in college. And I think also with college, that is like truly the first time that I was responsible for my own food. Um, and, and being the one to choose it and I had to go seek it out and it wasn't just placed in front of me and my mom was in grocery shopping for me and, and being exposed to other people's relationships with food. So I think um, college was a very like peak time for me and, and kind of had those speed bumps of learning this nutrition knowledge, wanting to apply that to my life, it becoming very rigid um, and, and that playing a toll on my mental health and my own relationship with food and exercise and um I think as college went on, I realized that that was way more exhausting than what I had been doing previously, my first 18 years of life. And so um, I think I learned a lot about food in those years. And as I kind of stepped into dietetic residency, that um, became kind of more clear to me of, oh yeah, like food has the power to like heal and um, help with disease, but it doesn't have to be this like rigid control. So kind of like fast forward a little bit, I, as coming out of my dietetic residency, I, I was offered a job at Vanderbilt university, um, which is a really cool experience because there was not a dietitian before me. And so I was offered mm -hmm. the position of being like the campus dietitian. So the dietitian for all the college students there, mm -hmm. um, which is funny because literally on my first day, my boss was like, okay, do what dietitians do. <laughs> and I was like, I literally just graduated. I have no idea yeah. what's going on. So I really got to like make the position my own. And so what that, and I like just love talking to people. Like I love hearing people's stories. And I, I think I come from a place of wanting to like help and support people. I just didn't really know what that would look like in that job. And so I think over time, like fast forward six months into my job of kind of letting students know that I exist, that I'm on campus, all that stuff, I started having more and more and more college students sitting in my office, completely overwhelmed and stressed about food. And, and that just wasn't what I expected. And so I think hearing similar stories over and over and over about getting to college and having this um, expectation that they were having to meet of like not getting the freshman 15 and having to keep their same body size as high school and also trying to get the best grades and just being so overwhelmed and not understanding how the meal plan works and like how to get food in between classes. And there was a line. And so they would just skip and then they'd go hungry. Mm -hmm. And then there was binging. And it was just kind of the same story over and over. And I finally realized like, this is like a huge problem and a problem that I like wanted to step into and give support there. Um, and so that's where I think I really found like my niche in like counseling. Um, and so again, fast forward, there was a boy, I met a boy and um, yeah. And Dylan was there to witness it, which is funny too, but met a boy and um, we ended up getting engaged. And so he actually is in medical school in Memphis. And so I ended up moving here when we got married Um so I spent about two years at Vandy and loved that job deeply and was so sad to leave it, but um, I loved him more. And so I decided to go. And so I think going into that, like just factual, my husband was in, my soon to be husband was going to be in medical school. I was leaving this job that I loved and had built from the ground up um, that really gave me life and gave me purpose. And I, there was not a day that I didn't want to go to work. I think there was days I wanted to go into work later and sleep in, but there was not <laughs> yes. days I didn't want to go. And um, so I think with that 
I had to find a job. And so, you know, after kind of months of like knowing I was going to be here and kind of looking, there's really nothing, nothing, nothing. Um, and I landed into like a clinical job. And so uh, that a friend had kind of like introduced me to, and it was in a clinic and it was kind of like a weight support clinic is kind of what it was pitched to me of, um, you know, helping people manage their weight, you know, and I was like, okay, that's like counseling. Like I, like, I know how to do that. Um, and then as I got closer and I actually ended up like applying and interviewing for the job, it, it was, I found out it was a bariatrics job. Um, and with like a lot of thought and a lot of prayer <laughs> ended up taking that job. Um, and I had this mindset of like, okay, like I don't know anything about weight loss surgery. And like, I don't know anything about clinical really. Like, I mean, I had come from a clinical background in school, but I had just spent two years just counseling students at a university and like working on meal plans. And so mm -hmm. this was like going to be really foreign to me. So I had this concept of like, okay, I'm going to go in there and like, I'm going to change lives and I'm going to work with these patients and help them realize like food is a healing tool. Like food can be this most you know, amazing thing that can benefit their life. And it sounds like they're probably all struggling if they've gone to this part point, you know, I'm looking back, I'm like, I was so optimistic. <laughs> um, and so anyway, landed in that job. And I think that's like kind of where our conversation will probably go a lot, but um, that was last year. And so mm. um, spent like almost not quite a full year there um, and just started to see how broken that world was and that one little dietitian from Nashville could not mm. fix it. And so, um, and now I'm here. So sort you know, that's like a very fast version of just my story with, with dietetics and kind of how I came to land at free method. But, um, mm. yeah, many different turns in there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's cool in a sense, like your journey, I think it's helped to give you a good perspective of like what works, what doesn't work. And two, like, I'm sure that there are people like patients, clients that you worked with at that bariatrics clinic that you made a big impact on that, you know, maybe was different than some other dietitian that would be super, super focused on like weight loss, calories, that sort of thing. But I think one thing that stood out first before getting into the bariatrics is what you said about in college when you started to learn like basically the ins and outs of nutrition and how our body works. And that just made me think about like, I can't remember, I feel like there's some sort of phrase of like, when you have, I don't know how people say the phrase, but it's like too much knowledge can be a bad thing. Like, mm -hmm. it's like, okay, we literally know everything. And I know and too much. Yes. Like it's easy to like, take it out of context or just use it in different ways that like aren't super sustainable. Um, but I think, and I love how you called it like a speed bump in your journey. And we talk about that a lot with clients of like, you know, where do you see like speed bumps or roadblocks coming up? And, and I think that experience is helpful for people listening because I'm sure whether you're in college or out of college, we all reach that point, especially nowadays when, even if you're not a dietitian, like nutrition information is at our fingertips. So it's easy to be overwhelmed with like, are carbs good? Are carbs bad? What time do you have to stop eating? Like so much knowledge overload. Um, but shifting gears back to bariatrics, because I would love to talk on that more. Um, I'm curious what, like maybe where you saw diet culture there, or even just in general, like what your experience was like there, but, but maybe specifically like where you saw 
diet culture um, kind of showing up. How long do we have? <laughs> like literally, yeah. I'll, I'll, you know, try to narrow it down. But I think, like I said, I think going into it, I had this mindset of, and, and I think from a, from a good place, um, one being like, I have to provide for my family and mm-hmm. I have to pay our rent. Yeah, and you absolutely. Know, we always joke that this will be the, the time that we look back on when we're living on love and loans. <laughs> but, um, but so kind of going into it and thinking, you know, I really like I, instead of being this drill sergeant dietitian, I will approach this from a place of grace and, you know, knowing that they didn't choose their situation and, and things like that. But I think it, it was one against a million. It felt like, like mm-hmm. I went in with this mindset and then very soon realized after a some period of time, maybe a couple months in, and I kind of like knew what I was doing, um, that I was, I was getting coaxed to the other side in a lot of ways. And so I think the, the problem with that is it's pitched as it's not a diet. Mm -hmm. Um, because in a lot of ways, of course it's not, it's a surgery. Um, Mm -hmm. and then for afterwards it's, I'm like doing air quotes for those (laughs) of you that can't see me. It's not a diet. Um, if it's permanent. And so, you know, because diets, you choose them and diets, you know, you can go on and off them. You can stop them whenever you want. There's this like freedom, blah, blah, blah to them. But this was like pitched to people as it's not a diet because it's permanent. And um, I think that just like rubbed me so wrong for, mm-hmm. for the longest time. And I tried to like find ways around that. Um, and I just think I kept, I like literally felt like I was in a, you know, maze of like trying to figure mm-hmm. out ways of like how can this be sustainable for people but they're still managing their health but they don't feel pressured to like lose weight but then obviously they're going through a huge surgery and so it was just complicated because I would see people before surgery and after surgery and I, I always felt this like heavy weight on my chest for the patients that were coming in there bright eyes bright eyed and bushy tailed to like mm-hmm. apply for bariatric surgery. And I like wanted to look at them and mm. be like, run, like yeah. run the other way, um, which obviously I was not allowed to do, but <laughs> I think, um, you know, it was either like, okay, run now, like <clears throat> know that like this might not be for you or like the people that really, I mean, if we're talking in terms of getting approved for bariatric surgery, people's whose BMIs really weren't that high. And so, mm-hmm. and, and hearing the stories, cause like in the intake, we would talk a lot about like, why do you want to do this? Like, what is your mm-hmm. purpose for this? Like, what do you see your life looking like after, which I appreciated those questions. It didn't really matter what their response was. Cause we were going to yeah. try to push them through anyway, but so many stories just being like, I want to feel better about myself. I want to mm-hmm. be more confident. I want to you know, be able to be intimate with my husband and not feel insecure, like things like that, that I, it's just like, it hurt my heart. And so, Mm -hmm. um, it was definitely pitched as like, it's not used to help you like lose weight, but like more so it's there to help you like treat your disease and make you feel better and make you healthier. It's not about the losing weight. It's about health. And it was like, Oh my gosh, like this is not health. And yeah. Um, you know, and, and basically pitching that like weight loss leads to health, which as you mm-hmm. and I know, like is not true. Yeah. Um, and so in so many ways it was like asking people, you know, really not to, there was no like solution to weight stigma there, but 
as we know, the, the solution is not to lose weight. It's like mm-hmm. reteaching our culture to like dismantle weight stigma, which is like yeah. literally the opposite of what was happening there. Um, so I don't know. And to hear their responses of like, you know, why do you want to do this? Oh, cause people will treat me better and mm-hmm. I'll fit into more clothes. Like I'll, I'll be able to walk into any store and find clothes and I can fit into smaller places. Like I can go on a plane. I can go visit my grandkids across the U S and get on a plane. Like I can't do that mm-hmm. now. And I think it was hard because they were right. Like they would be able to do those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but in reality, like that's, that's like our society, like that wasn't, and they so believed that it was their fault. Like mm-hmm. that it was their fault. They couldn't do those things. Um, which was like, obviously really frustrating. And I don't know if like, sad is the right word, yeah. but like saddening to me because they truly felt like they had to conform to the system to receive like respect and empowerment and like the ability to go places and do things, which, um, as we know, like empowerment doesn't, and like respect does not come from like conforming. And so I think that's what mm-hmm. was like, th- things were just missing each other and, yeah. um, and they were not hitting the nail on the head and they so deeply felt like they were. And so I think that was mm-hmm. just hard to watch. And so yeah. just as a reminder to us of like, advocating for a new system and mm. like doing keep doing the work that we do currently yeah. so I don't know if that even answered your question but yeah that was like a word, word vomit no that's so good because yeah I think what you said and I, I mean I love that that question was asked of like you know why why are you wanting this what do you think like how do you think it'll change like your life and it, it sounds like it's okay people are wanting so much deeper than like weight loss. It's like, they think they're, they want weight loss. And really this is like bariatric surgery or not, like just speaking Mm -hmm. of weight loss in general, like people think that's what they want. But then when they dig beneath that, it's like, no, I want to feel confident in my body. I want to feel seen. I want to, you know, fit in quote unquote to this culture that I don't, you know, I feel like an outcast in because I don't see my body reflected in like, sizes in the store or, you know, mannequins on TV shows, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like this deeper rooted desire that we know weight loss and like drastic measures like weight loss surgery aren't going to fix. Like it's okay. Putting a bandaid on it, but it's like a gaping escape. Is that a word? Gaping wound (laughs) that Mm -hmm. needs like gaping. Yes. Like a wound that needs like stitches or like deeper attention. Like sure. It may give them like a temporary sense of, you know, relief, but also I think for those people that, you know, consider or follow through with weight loss surgery or any sort of kind of like drastic weight loss measures, like, I think you said something like this, like it makes sense why they would want that because it makes you feel like, okay, this is going to give me all that I need. This is going to fix my problems. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be healthy. My life's going to be great. My relationships. And then, like with diets and like less drastic measures, you, you reach a point of realizing like, okay, this actually didn't deliver on its promises. And, and especially with weight loss surgery, it's so sad where that can, like you said, be like a permanent thing and, but not in like a, oh, this is sustainable. This is long lasting. It's like permanent in the sense that your body has now been altered and that's going to impact you know, your digestion and foods you can eat and how much you can eat at a time and all of these things. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it feels like they're kind of, people feel like they're like backed into a corner of like, this is my last option mm-hmm. and I have to do this. 
Yeah. And, and I think as you and I know, and something we practice so often is understanding the mind body connection. Mm -hmm. And so when you have this like literally new stomach, your body, Mm -hmm. like that, the uh, ability to read hunger cues and fullness cues and Mm -hmm. cravings and all of, and like uh, really having that connection, it's like nearly impossible after. And so Mm -hmm. people come from this place of not feeling like they cannot trust their body um, because it, you know, quote unquote, got them there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the other like important layer of that is people don't necessarily realize or know that 50% 50% of weight loss surgeries like aren't successful. Mm. And so I know you and I like always ask like, if you knew something wasn't going to work or didn't have a great chance of working, like, would you still do it? And so, um, I think with that, knowing a lot of people aren't necessarily su- successful after because there's only this one portion of the journey that's addressed and that's food mm-hmm. before and after or vitamins before and after, but there is no, there is no education or support in regards to psychological, mental yeah. health, um, mm. relational health. That's a huge one because the relationships that people have after the surgery would change drastically. Like people mm. would tell me, oh yeah, I'm not friends with my like best friend anymore because I'm not her fat friend anymore and she can't take advantage mm. of me. Like there was just, wow. there was so much hurt that like came from that. And so, um, people came out if they weren't successful, like definitely blaming themselves, which obviously can have a huge impact on mental health. Like, especially Mm -hmm. if you just spent all this money and went through like weeks and weeks of recovery to do all this stuff and, um, not really understanding that there's all these other aspects of health that you still have to like care for and, um, have support in not just what do you eat after. And I think the shift of, they had gone years and years and years and years of, dieting, yo-yo dieting, restricting, um, feeling like they didn't have the willpower to do it. And then quite literally overnight going to a place where, um, all they had to do was try to eat enough. Like Mm. they had to try to get in enough food to like not risk malnourishment. And Mm -hmm. so it was the consistent, the mindset shift had to go from restriction to like literally the opposite of like trying Mm. to get in enough. And I think that can like really confuse people. And yeah. if they've come from years and years of restriction and um, I don't know, and, and there's also, I don't know the exact statistic, but like there is a huge increased risk of suicide significantly mm-hmm. higher with bariatric patients yeah. because this whole mental health aspect is not um, addressed at all. And mm-hmm. so it's just, yeah, it was super hard. And, um, and then the other part, I don't even think I've mentioned that is like the disordered eating that comes along with all of that. And obviously that plays a huge part in that as well. And so knowing, um, I don't, that there's really no like screening per se to like, I don't want to use the word weed out, but like Mm -hmm. ensure that someone doesn't have an eating disorder before this surgery, because the qualifications are like BMI. And yeah. so the assumption being, oh, if you had an mm. eating disorder, mm. you would have a, a small BMI and not even qualify. And so there's the total lack of like education of like to have an eating disorder does not mean, or the eating disorders don't just come in small bodies, basically. Yes, exactly. Like there's mm. no BMI that is tied to an eating disorder. Yeah. And so 
patients getting this surgery that have like eating disorders that aren't diagnosed from Mm -hmm. a physician or psychologist or whatever. And, um, and so I think that's just another huge part of that. That's not flagged is like, just Mm -hmm. if you're not diagnosed, then it doesn't matter. And so, um, yeah. And and then I think what comes along with it, the diet after being like very regimented and very, um, like, you know, quick, that quick shift of needing as much food, like, if your relationship with food is like already unstable, like you can imagine how much that would confuse you more. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's so hard because again, like I mentioned, like I know people who go that route probably feel like it's their only option. And, and a lot of the, like, you know, weight stigma in our culture, making it seem like this is the only way I'm going to be able to survive. And, and two, I think even in all of this, like, it's not like we're one, we're not obviously anti people who go through with some sort of bariatric surgery or procedure. We're more like anti the, just the, the place itself. Stigma. <laughs> yeah. The yeah stigma. Well, I think I, I like am inclined to say that too. Of Like, I just had that thought of like, I don't want any listener to feel like they are wrong for either desiring bariatric surgery or if they've already had it or if they're in the process of getting it, like you're not wrong. I like want you to know that you have other options. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think the frustration that, you know, maybe a listener can hear from my Mm -hmm. end is not with, not with the patients. It's, it's with our culture that has convinced us or anyone that that should be an option or that that is the only option and that that leads to health. And Mm -hmm. I think that is the frustration, not anyone that desires that because ultimately it is like not your fault. And it's kind of the same thing that we say of, you know, to clients that we have of like, you're not wrong for wanting to Mm -hmm. lose weight. Like, why would you not want to when everything in the world is telling you and screaming at you that you should. Um, And it'd be really hard to think, to believe otherwise if you've never been like mm-hmm. introduced to a different option. Yeah, absolutely. And I think through that, like that's a lot of the work, you know, we do with our clients and I know other dietitians do as well is really helping to connect the dots of like, you can pursue health and be able to put like your weight on the back burner of like, you can pursue, you know, let's say eating more vegetables or moving more or prioritizing your mental health, sleeping, like there's so many aspects of health you can prioritize that are going to impact, you know, so many different markers in your overall health that have nothing to do with your BMI, the size of your body, et cetera, et cetera. But I love what you said of like, you're not wrong for desiring weight loss, no matter how much, you know, weight loss it may be, because the culture we live in makes it seem like the smaller you are, the better you are. Um, and, and, and healthier you, know, you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's hard to, you know, argue with that, especially I think for clients I see, or even just people in general, like when you see a doctor, like a medical professional recommending this to you, it's easy to think like, okay, well, this is a doctor, like they're recommending this, like this must be the best thing for me. And not that I think the doctors are out to like harm them, obviously, but it's really digging into like, okay, well, is this, you know, practice or these people also kind of rooted in weight stigma and diet culture where, you know, maybe they're only seeing one side of the story. Um, So then what would you say, like, 
for people who are, are listening that whether, like you said, have had bariatric surgery or considering it, or even just at a point where they're like, I need to lose weight to, to be healthy. Like I, I just don't feel good in my body. Like no matter what kind of where they fall on that spectrum, like what do you feel like would be your advice to them or like something you would want them to hear in terms of like truly how they can prioritize their health and well-being without, you know, the, the primary focus on weight loss? Yeah, I would say it is so important to know, one, that we are all like victims of diet culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of, this this should never be another like reason to layer on like shame and guilt. Um, mm-hmm. If those are the things that you desire. I think that's really important to know because um, I would never want anyone to walk away from like listening to this conversation and say like, I'm so wrong. Like I, yeah. I shouldn't desire that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the other really important part is losing weight does not fix that mm-hmm. body image, like does not change your body image. Um, I always joke and feel like if I could literally tattoo something on my forehead, it would be that. <laughs> yes. like, that is what I would tattoo yeah. on my forehead and would be the first thing that people saw is like losing weight mm-hmm. does not fix body image. Um, and I think our world tells us that it does. Yeah. And so of course we would like believe that. Um, but I think it's important to know intuitive eating is possible. And I think intuitive eating like really is just, if I could like write my own definition to that, it would be like you have clarity and you have confidence around what to eat. Because I think even at hearing intuitive eating, people can somewhat have like a negative connotation to that of, oh, then that, that just means I eat whatever I want. And Mm -hmm. I know how that would go. Like I know exactly what I would eat. And so I think as you go through the process and really follow through on that, it looks like being clear and confident in in your food choices. And I think people feel like that is so that that is absolutely not possible for them. Like that Mm -hmm. is so far gone. And especially with bariatric surgery or not, like people might feel like that's not, that's literally not possible for me. Like I, um, whether you have like a health condition or you've had a surgery or something like that, that you believe, like, I don't have the ability to listen to my body. Um, which I think another Mm -hmm. layer of that is feeling like you, it's not possible to have that because you have a health condition or an allergy or some mm-hmm. health condition. Yeah. That causes you to cut certain things out of your diet. But like, I think having the support of a professional to really walk you through that. And I don't want to say hand holding, but like a teammate, like somebody yeah. to like to really be in your corner um, to navigate that it, it's possible for everybody. And it's important to know we were born intuitive eaters. Like every yeah. single one of us, was born an intuitive eater. And so that means that we all have it in us. We all have mm-hmm. the ability to be there. Um, and, and you're never too far gone. Yeah. Yeah. Is that right? No, that's so good. And I think that's a great way of putting it too. Cause I think intuitive eating in many ways can be confusing to people because yeah, like you said, they either think like, okay, all my, all I'm going to eat is French fries. Or I think now too, I've seen intuitive eating, like, you know, diet culture is trying to get a grip on it as well. So then it's Mm -hmm. like, okay, is that just another diet? What is it? And so really plain and simple, it's like people want clarity. They want confidence in, in all areas of life, right? Like we want to feel confident. We want to have, have clarity, have peace of mind. And that's what 
intuitive eating and really just working to make peace with food can give you. Uh, and, and like you said, whether you have some sort of like condition where you're not able to, you know, tolerate gluten or you're allergic to shellfish, like having clarity around like, okay, what I put in my body is what makes sense for my specific body. And then being able to be confident in that. Um, but it can be hard for people, you know, if you're so deeply rooted in diets and you've been dieting as long as you can remember and weight cycling and all the things, it can feel impossible to get to that other side of like that clarity, that confidence, like doesn't feel possible. And I think if I, if I could add on to that, like the mm -hmm. other thing that I would want to tell someone is that like health doesn't look like anything. Like yeah. there is no look to health. And I think that's where health at every size comes in is that being in a small body or having a certain BMI doesn't make you healthy. And actually literally just posted on my Instagram about this yesterday, mm -hmm. the story of a current client I have like telling this story. She had come so far in her, in her journey. She was practicing intuitive eating. She had put in all these like health habits and actions that she was, um, becoming really regular, a great sleep schedule and setting boundaries with certain people and drinking more water and finally found a, like a form of movement that like she loved and made her feel good. And, um, she like woke up one Saturday morning and really wanted waffles. And so she went mm -hmm. to this restaurant to get waffles and she ordered her waffles, you know, was waiting for them to come. And then she watched a woman in a small body come in, order a salad and ask for the dressing on the side. And mm -hmm. she immediately felt all of this shame and guilt of like, oh my gosh, I'm like walking through life believing that I'm healthy. And then that lady is actually way healthier than me. And then I like stop her and I'm like, what is, what does healthy mean to you? Like, yeah. what does that mean? Like, what does healthy look like? And after we talked through it, I mean, she realized she doesn't, she didn't know anything about that lady. She didn't know if she had healthy relationships, if she was struggling with her mental mm -hmm. health, if she um, had slept last night, if she has her own, you know, hard relationship with food that she mm -hmm. struggles there. And so there's just no way to judge someone based off of the way they look. And so for people like us trying to redefine what, you know, what health at every size looks like, mm -hmm. knowing that you don't have to be in a small body to be healthy. So when you come where, when you say like, ultimately I really desire health, there's so many ways to go about doing that without feeling like you have to shrink your body. Mm hmm. Right. I just wanted to no, add that. <laughs> that's so good. That's so good. Because when you say you desire health, what you desire is confidence and clarity and peace of mind and all of these things. But it's easy to think on the surface, like, oh, I, I need weight loss. That's going to fix it. Um, yeah. And that literally what you were just saying was going to answer the question I was about to ask of like, you know, what would be like something else you would want to tell people listening? Like, because I think this is a hard thing for for all of us to understand because it's the opposite of really what our culture preaches and what we see in the magazines and what we see on TV. And I mean, it feels very countercultural in a sense. So shifting gears, I feel like one, I could like talk about this forever <laughs> and you'll obviously be back many times because well, you have to, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sign me up. You, yes. Um, but I would love to hear your favorite food memory or one of them. That's one of my favorite things to ask guests at the end of the show. Yeah. Um, gosh, there's a lot too. Um, mm -hmm. I would say, so this is funny. My, I am like a big, like sushi connoisseur. Like I love sushi and 
and like kind of snob when it comes to my sushi. <laughs> like it has to be a certain way, like whatever. Mm. I really like um, like kind of hole in the wall, like sushi places, mm-hmm. like mom and pop. Um, yes. Who that have like been there forever and you've probably, probably driven past it a hundred times, but like never mm-hmm. been in that kind of place. Yes. Um, but growing up, so my parents got divorced when I was like in elementary school and um, I remember that being like, you know, I'm not somewhat of like a traumatic or like confusing time. Mm-hmm. And my mom had actually like just discovered eating sushi or like liking sushi. And so she um, would take us to eat sushi like every Friday night. Mm-hmm. And I think that was just like her way of spending time with us and kind of like creating like a safe environment, like around food. And so I like for as long as I can remember, like all the way through like when I graduated high school, we ate sushi every Friday night. And then it got to the mm. point where I could like drive and, you know, wanted to hang out with my yeah. friends. So I'd go eat sushi and then like go hang out with my friends. But sushi is just like, which is so funny because it's not like a, I don't know, comfort food for like a lot of people. But sushi has always been like our thing. Um, yeah. And me, like myself being the youngest and like my older siblings left, then it really was just my mom and I. Mm. Um, and so we always ate sushi together. And so now she lives like states away from me, but when we see each other the first night that we're all together, whether, you know, other people are coming to town or whatever, we always go eat sushi. Mm-hmm. And so it is definitely just this memory of like time and time and time again, sitting around the table eating sushi. And yeah. it's become this thing because I was like definitely the one that was like most obsessed with it and like wanted to try all the things and, you know, whatever. And we went to this one place so many times that they ended up naming a roll after me, <gasps> which is really what? funny. <laughs> So it was so actually your like, Yeah. So it was, I mean, I loved sushi. And so, and, and my mom would always be like, I'm full, like I'm done and done. And I would always say like, I'm still hungry. Like I still mm-hmm. want more. And so she'd be like, okay, like get another roll. Like you can uh-huh. totally do that. And so I would always say that to, we always said at the sushi bar and the sushi chef finally named a role that I'm still hungry role because I would always <laughs> just say like, I'm still hungry. And my mom would be like, okay, get another one. Oh my gosh. Um, and I that's would, like, wasn't like, wasn't one on the menu. So I would like tell him like, can you put like this, this and this, like all in one. Yeah. And then we finally put it on the menu and called it that I'm still hungry role, which is really funny. So that's um, amazing. Yeah. Sushi is definitely like a uh. near and dear food to mm-hmm. like my family's heart. And I like always joked and said, I would, I will not marry someone that doesn't like sushi. And <laughs> luckily Andrew, my husband does like yes. sushi. So uh, we're in, we're in the clear. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's so good. And I think I love what you said, like, you know, sushi, when people think about comfort food, they may not initially think sushi, but it's like comfort food is just any food that like reminds you of home or reminds you of like, you know, times in your, like whatever it may be. And so sushi brings up so many memories for you. I mean, you have a role named after you, so I know. it's a pretty big deal. Mark my words. I should get some <laughs> royalties from Yes. That. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Um, okay. Well, where can people find you on Instagram? People can find me on your website, um, <laughs> but they can also Instagram. My handle is Meredith Wren, which is R-E-N dot rd so meredith ren dot rd um yeah i mean you can the free method um instagram as well free method mm-hmm. and you can find me there um and then yeah on you can find lots of fun pics of us on dylan's website yes. free, method free method nutrition yes yeah. perfect um and you're i know accepting new clients so if anyone listening whether you know we have a group program we have one-on-one 
if you're listening and you would love to work with our team, work with Meredith specifically, please reach out. You can send her a DM on Instagram um, or check out our website to schedule a call. So perfect. Well, thank you, Meredith, for coming on. This was so fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to our show. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Food Freedom Podcast. Make sure you're following us on Instagram at Free Method Nutrition for more inspiring content on food freedom, intuitive eating, body respect, and many other things. If you're curious how you can support our podcast and help it to reach more people like you, we would love if you would take a minute to rate and review the show. We drop new episodes every Tuesday, so make sure you subscribe so you always catch our latest conversations. See you next episode.